would you open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 2? And heads up, we're also going to be in the book of 1 John, so that when I say that, you can just flip right to it and you'll feel really spiritual because you already knew where it was. And by the way, if you don't know where it is, uh, just go to Revelation and turn left and it's just right there, 1 John chapter 1. Last week, I ended in Genesis in Babel and suggested that maybe that what we're experiencing in our country is what happened to Babel so many thousands of years ago, which is that the languages were divided, that they were united around a cause that wasn't God, united in what, what God said in Genesis 11, that man, when men, women, when you come together, you're united around something, it's unstoppable. And so the way that he stopped Babel from becoming what it could have been was to divide their language. And I suggested, I don't have any proof of this, but it, maybe that's what God is doing in our country. The, the division that we can't even understand, maybe God is saying, hey, you, you guys are united, but you're united not around me, so we're, I'm gonna put the brakes on this. Now that said, in Acts chapter two, right, we talked last week, they're all together in one place, in one accord. And then it says that they started speaking and everybody heard them in their own language. They all were united around language. God was reversing Babel. The Holy Spirit bringing us back under one language. And that's what you see unfolding in the book of Acts. Is Peter stands up, and obviously miracles are happening, crazy, amazing stuff that, uh, that is still, I believe is still happening today, and that, man, I believe, and we'll get to see that in our own midst but the most amazing and miraculous thing that it's easy to miss is what starts in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Just four things. That was their church growth model, by the way. They didn't bring in a consultant for this one. This is what we do. These four things, and we're devoted to them. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, all the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in, together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. They were devoted to four things, fellowship, teaching, breaking of bread, and prayer. And we're actually going to talk about each of those things individually in the coming weeks. But today, I want to focus in and camp out on fellowship, that word fellowship. And so would you turn to me, turn to me, turn with me, turn around every now and then. I get, I'm sorry, turn to 1 John 1. Tony, man, by third service, I am unhinged. <laughs> we should start charging admission for this one. <laughs> I mean, like a dollar, not much, you know. <laughs> that which was from the beginning, verse one, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John is just saying, look, man, I saw him, I touched him, I don't know what else to tell you, but that dude resurrected. Like, this is an eyewitness testimony to Jesus' resurrection, writing to people who would have challenged him on it. 
The life appeared, verse two, and we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray today that your word would be a light to us, the lamp that you promised that it could be, that it would be for us. And today we want to walk in that light. Just take a moment to disconnect. It's raining outside. We ain't going anywhere anyway. Just to connect with you and your Holy Spirit in here, in Jesus' name. Amen. The word fellowship is a word that we don't fully grasp today. Did anybody grow up in a church with a fellowship hall? Right? So some of you know what I'm talking about. The young ones like, I have no idea what that means. And here's the thing, like my, our fellowship hall, we had pot blessing dinners because we didn't believe in luck. Right? Because it's only... <laughs> You're either laughing because you know... Or because you know it just sounds silly, but we, so it was pot blessing dinners in the, in the fellowship hall. But what fellowship hall meant to me was me getting my cheeks pinched by a bunch of people I didn't know. It was my parents' friends, my my grandparents' friends. Oh, I knew your daddy when he was I'm like I just want the pancakes. I, the fellowship hall was where that all happened. Every church, and we actually have a fellowship hall conduit back here. You'll notice we call it the family room. And if you've been around a while, you know why we call this the family room. There was a, a while ago, uh, I don't know, Sarah, you might have been with me, but uh, some of you surely were when Pastor LaFleur explaining to us um, why we, with the homes that we build in Haiti for families, he puts more than one room in them. And his idea, Audrey, were you there? He, was that so that, because he says, you know, clearly they're, they're continuing to make babies. And so instead of making babies in front of the kids in one room, we're going to put multiple rooms in it. But the way that he phrased it was, you know when they are doing the, uh, and he, a Haitian using air quotes, which is hilarious. When the parents are uh, fellowshipping. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> Loud and clear, LeFleur. Which is why we do not have a fellowship hall anymore, because I just can't get that out of my mind. <laughs> like, that is not what we're talking about. To the wrong church, is that what they say? That's, that's what all those documentaries on Netflix are about. Lord. But here's the thing, and now it's going to sound weird when I say this, but Lafleur is closer to its meaning than I am. When I'm talking about pancakes with grandma, he's closer with it with intimacy than, than I am because that's what it's the idea of intimate relationship. Fellowship is, our English language fails us. The word is koinonia. 
And what you see in verses 43, 44, 45, 6, 7 is what that looks like, is family. We don't go anywhere. We keep coming back. I was reading this past week a, a, a book. This is my second time through. If, if, you are, if you've got discernment, if you're a little bit older, I would heavily recommend this book. It's absolutely fascinating. Sebastian Younger is, uh, was a war correspondent for a couple decades. Spent a lot of time in, in war zones. You might know him. He's more famous for his book, The Perfect Storm. Um, but this is his book, Tribe, speaking about his experience of why soldiers, why Marines, when they come home from battle, how hard it is to re-acclimate back into the world and why inexplicably they actually want to go back and how it hurts their families and hurts their children. And Here's what he says. A modern soldier returning from combat, or a survivor of Sarajevo, goes back, goes from the kind of close-knit group that humans evolved for, and I want to say specifically, he is a secular humanist. I believe we were created for this. And part of God wiring this into our hard wiring is why humans have survived, because we need each other. Back into a society where most people work outside the home, children are educated by strangers, Families are isolated from wider communities, and personal gain almost completely eclipses collective good. Even if he or she is part of a family, it's not the same as belonging to a group that shares resources and experiences almost everything collectively. Whatever the technological advances of modern society, and they're nearly miraculous, Listen, if you don't hear anything else, this sentence. The individualized lifestyles that those technologies spawn seem to be deeply brutalizing to the human spirit. Acts 2.1, they were all together in one place. Acts 2.42, they were devoted to fellowship. And what Younger is talking about is what some of you, you read those words and you already, it hits you, especially if you're a man, that just hits you, you knew it. If you're married to a, uh, someone who's been in the military, who's been in battle, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you don't know because you have been hiding it for so long that you don't even know that you're feeling that. Not yet, but you will. This is the thing, what Younger is talking about is ultimately the loneliness that feels in these separate lives of unconnected lives together, which the Holy Spirit promises for us. When God said it's not good for man to be alone, it wasn't just a philosophical statement, it's true. The Harvard Business Review just last year released this research that they have been talking about. And when they say loneliness, what they're specifically talking about is the impaired version of it, of isolation away from the rest of the world. And it talks, he's basically saying that this disease of chronic epidemic loneliness is killing Americans. And this is the, the research is showing this, and I'm just gonna read this last part. It can be a serious problem. Loneliness and weak social connections are associated with the reduction in lifespan, listen, similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day, and even greater than associated with obesity. But we haven't focused nearly as much effort on strengthening connections between people as we have between curbing tobacco or obesity. Loneliness is associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, and anxiety, and is spe specifically talking about at work, 
At work, loneliness reduces task performance, limits creativity, and impairs other aspects of executive function, such as reasoning and decision-making. On and on it goes, saying that our isolation from each other is killing us. Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. When I say that a divided world needs a united church, I'm telling you that a divided heart, we need each other as well. This isn't just for some them ethereal out there. It's for us individually. We need each other. And they were devoted to fellowship. That's saying that it doesn't just happen automatically. They were working at it. My friend Jeff Schulte says this, that if you, you would be surprised how deep of a hole you can dig if you'll just stay in one place for long enough. But we keep digging out here and we got our little spoon and I'm over here digging, but if you'll stay in the same place, it's amazing how deep of a hole you can dig. Now, I wanna clarify something and say that loneliness in and of itself, that feeling of loneliness isn't something you need to repent of or be healed from. That it is a feeling that God gave us in a Genesis 3 world to draw us to intimacy. If we ignore it, if we medicate it, if we pretend, if we don't feel it, if we allow, if we don't do anything with it, it moves to the impaired form, which is apathy, which is just you know, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's, it's apathy. And I was praying and ruminating and thinking, man, you know, Jesus said in the end times that the love of many would what? Grow cold. We live in a society where we are more connected as ever and as alone as ever. And it's creating an apathetic world. But that said, in 1 John, I see that what that, emo that feeling inside of us is drawing us toward. He lays it out really perfectly here. And this is what we're gonna hit in these next few minutes. We are lonely for ourselves, lonely for each other, lonely for God. And ultimately, there is coming a day where we will be lonely for the last time. The lonely for ourselves, he talks about in the beginning, it sort of alludes to it here, but in the beginning, Adam and Eve together had relationship, had communion together. He said it's not good for man to be alone. He brings them together. But when we feel like there's something that I'm missing, that I'm, and a lot of us will isolate ourselves, understanding there's a difference between isolation and solitude. Solitude is you being lonely for who you were created to be. The recognition that it wasn't supposed to be this way. You, you know, you're probably tired of me reading this C.S. Lewis quote, I don't care, <laughs> because it's so good. But he says, if you find yourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Chip Dodd, you know, in his book, Voice of the Heart, and some of his speaking says that you're always, this side of heaven, loneliness never goes away because we weren't made for here. We're desiring this other world that we're coming to. The solitude, what's important about it is the moment that you get with yourself. What did Jesus do? He withdrew to be with himself. Our society does not work very well with that because when I'm by myself, you know what I'm doing? Podcasts, music, worship, what? But the solitude, that's a lost art in our world. And there's a loneliness for ourselves that if we will draw us, let it draw us to that, it reminds us that we weren't made for here. And not just lonely for ourselves, but lonely for 
each other. He talks here that, man, in the gospel, that we can proclaim this message that we might have fellowship with us. The Lord said it wasn't good for man to be alone. I was reading, of course I was, um, an article a couple weeks ago. And you Place of Hope staff, we got a whole row of you right here. Hi, Carrie. Um, they're saying, this is really fascinating research that's coming out that's saying that what is driving addiction is being alone, is being isolated. Now, there's a huge catch-22 in this because if you're addicted to, uh, to uh, opiates, whatever, and you keep stealing grandma's stuff, eventually grandma's got to say, I can't have you here anymore. I gotta, there are boundaries. That is a healthy thing. And the irony is that in the fallen world that it's in, it makes them more alone. And it's only in, and this is what, the, I'm just going to read you the end of this article. This is Professor Alexander. He says it gives us insight into, that goes much deeper than, uh, than the need to understand addicts. Professor Peter Cohen, this is what I wanted to read, argues that among human beings, we have a need for deep bond and to form connections. It's how we get satisfaction. If we cannot connect together, we will connect with anything we can find. The whir of a roulette wheel or the prick of a syringe or a bag of Cheetos. He says we would stop talking. This, this is absolutely fascinating. He says we should stop talking about, quote, addiction altogether and instead call it bonding. A heroin addict is bonded with heroin because she couldn't bond as fully with anything else. So the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. Half the things that we get addicted to, it isn't even about it being a sin, it's just not enough. Like that's this a little hit that gives me this thing, but it isn't enough for it. And the idea that, and this is where... Allowing ourselves to be known and to fully know each other, it's risky. I get it. It's one of the things that Dodd says is that anybody signing up for love in a relationship, you're signing up for pain. I get it. I don't blame you, but that's what it takes. And if you don't believe me, grow up and have some kids. <laughs> if for nothing else, at one point as a husband or wife, you're going to say goodbye to them. It hurts. It risks you being in pain, and so what we've done instead is to medicate it. It just, it's who we are. And we end up lo just losing out and missing out on the beauty of, because what he says here is if you walk in the light as he is in the light. W what happened when the lights come on? You saw, I look ridiculous. Like, Bob the tomato. Was it Bob or Larry? Yeah, he was the cucumber. Got it, okay. Larry was the cucumber. But you saw that because the light, and now I'm fully, ex I'm just exposed. You see me now. That's what, it, when you're walking in the light, is he is in the light. He sees you fully. And so the relationship of being in the light with each other brings us into a full relationship, and I know there's risk in that. And I know that some of you have had it, and, you, and it hurt, and so you swear I'll never do it again. And you drive yourself further into loneliness and further into isolation and further into a place where you end up with these problems that they're talking about. This is literally a life or death situation. And what I, I pray for and dream of is that this little fellowship of believers that we have could be a quinonia of believers. We 
And I, I look around this room right now and I've seen that. You guys are, some of you right now, you're doing that in each other's lives and I pray that all of us can begin to experience that in a deep and a profound way because ultimately the loneliness for each other really speaks of a deeper loneliness and that is our loneliness for God. He says that our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. Psalm 25, verse 16, David says, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. David was alone. And the thing was is that loneliness, he could have done one of two things. He could have let it drive him into apathy and I don't care anymore and I'm cynical or I'm bitter or allow it to drive him into an intimacy with God. Which one do you think he chose? Here's why this matters and I've been very careful each service to say this because I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying, which is really difficult sometimes, right? Depression in many people is a medicated thing and there's a chemical imbalance and it is a dangerous thing and medicine is not a sin. Okay, am I clear on that? If you're a teenager, what I'm about to say to you is this isn't that you're in sin, this is not that. Because some of us, in the same way, I go to Haiti and I take medicine for, well, it's a different kind of chemical imbalance, but medication, you know what I'm saying? Like That's not a bad thing, so do not hear what I'm not saying. On the other hand, what I want you to hear me say is that some of us, that's, it's not a chemical thing, it's not a medical thing for a doctor. It's literally this loneliness for God. And I wonder, if David had Xanax, would we have the book of Psalms? I don't know that. I, it, I feel like that Sebastian Younger, one of the things he said was that, I feel like had I have taken, he had PTSD, had I have taken the medicine that the doctor wanted to give me, that I would have felt good enough to settle for this life that I was living that wasn't very excellent. And the point is that for some of us, that's, it's not that we are, have a chemical thing. It's genuinely a, maybe I need to spend a little bit of time alone with God, a loneliness for him. You see, John, who wrote 1 John 1, talking about the fellowship, this friendship, thinking about this, he had a f- like 40 years long relationship with these brothers, and he watched some of them murdered, and he, he knew Jesus' mom, and he ends up banished to an island called Patmos, Now listen to me, if you even heard anything else I've said, wake up and you can go right back to sleep. Patmos, by himself, alone. And he opens up with the book, Revelation chapter one, and says, this is the revelation of Jesus. The apocalypsis, the uncovering, the unveiling. Him being alone, left, abandoned, betrayed, sent to an island alone, He had an opportunity to just say, I'm going to be cynical or I'm going to be bitter or he allowed it to draw him closer and he got a revelation of Jesus that he could have never had any place else but the island of Patmos. And so some of you are headed to an island or on an island right now of betrayal and alone. I'm just telling you that, first of all, it sucks and I get it. I'm not trying to whitewash that. But in that moment, maybe that loneliness for God will draw you into a place to a revelation of Jesus that you could have never gotten any other way. I mean, do you think for a second that John would have turned, said, oh, that stinks, I would, have, I, would, I would never do it that way again? Or do you think that John said, no, this revelation, this way that I know Jesus, I would do it all over again to have that revelation of Jesus? Because the revelation of Jesus that he had is that all of us on this side of heaven are gonna battle with this loneliness, but there is coming a point where we will be lonely for the last time. 
Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that we, on the day that we stand before our Father, the day of when we are weak, the day of like finally I'm there and I'm standing on the other side, it says that I will, f- listen, fully know as I'm fully known. Relationship, intimacy with our Father, living in the light. That's the picture. And how did it happen? Because Jesus himself became more lonely than anybody on the planet. In Matthew, when he's about to be crucified, well, I mean, about to be crucified, that's when you need your bros. I mean, if, if ever there was a time, and what does he say? They're, they're, they're falling asleep. It's late. We're tired. He doesn't say, by the way, couldn't you pray with me for just one hour? He says, couldn't you watch with me? for one hour. Couldn't you just be with me? Couldn't you just see me for one hour? And the answer was no. They went right back to sleep. And he finds himself on a cross, puts himself there, allows himself, is his choice. Where the God of the universe, his father, he says, why have you forsaken me? He is more alone than any person has ever been in the history of people cut off from his heavenly father, cosmically alone. So that one day, you and I will be lonely for the last time. And for now, on this side of heaven, that feeling that he's given you is a gift. Don't repent of it. Don't ignore it. Don't medicate it. Allow the gospel to become the fellowship of believers with you. It plays out quite practically. What we see in verses 42 through 47 is a quite practical play out of way that the fellowship happens. But it starts with that knowing that Jesus knows you. He sees everything about you. And he didn't leave. You understand he talks about in the Bible that the only reason for uh, acceptable for divorce is in the case of infidelity and there's a lot of debate, whatever. But the, interestingly enough is that he says that's an out and then he sa- so he says that and now I'm the bride of Christ, okay? He gives himself the out with me and he doesn't take it. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves me. He is not going anywhere. The eyes of the universe looking on you. I want to pray with you. Actually, everybody go ahead and stand up. I know it's late. Because I know even in this room that there are some of you right now, man, you're struggling with it. You're on your own island of Patmos right now. And maybe I don't know, maybe nobody knows it, but you know who does? It's God. I'm praying today that he gives you a re- like a revelation of Jesus like none you've ever had before. Don't run out of it. Stay in it. Heavenly Father, thank you for the fellowship that you've offered us, the koinonia, a word that's so deep we can't even, we don't even have a word for it, but could we live it? Could we feel it? And Father, I just feel led to pray right now. I know even in this room, some of our folks, man, there is a chemical thing going on in them and they are taking medication. I pray that you just love on them right where they are, knowing that there's no shame in that. And if the enemy is lying to them and shaming them right now, I just ask that you would reveal to them that it is not a shame on you, it is shame off you in that moment. Do not let the enemy lie. For all of us today, we're going to have an opportunity, Lord, <laughs> to binge watch 
Lord, to be with you. And I pray that we make the right choice, that we press into it. We press past the pain, press past the risk into the fellowship of the believers that is made possible only because you have purified our sins. We can stand on a level ground in front of the cross, both all of us equally exposed, equally loved, equally accepted. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.